Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann. Today on the Heinemann Podcast, Lucy Calkins, author and series editor of the Units of Study for Reading and Writing, shares in her own words the latest groundbreaking work to come out of the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project, the new Units of Study in Phonics for grades K-2. through As Lucy Calkins says, quote, The goal of phonics instruction is simply and only to support kids' progress as readers and writers. Every message you send during phonics instruction needs to be angled to support transfer to reading and writing. That transfer isn't an optional extension of your instruction or something you support for just the most accomplished of your students. It is everything, unquote. At a recent conference, Lucy discussed the principles behind this fast-paced, research-based new series. She spoke about why it matters for young readers and writers today. The work we've done in phonics is a game-changer. What you know about any curriculum we ever write is that it's cohesive. The beliefs are crystal clear, and they're there on Monday, they're there on Tuesday, they're there on Wednesday, they're there in kindergarten, they're there in fourth grade, they're there in sixth grade. In my list of the principles, the first one that I think is really foundational is that we're teaching phonics for transfer. The only reason to learn phonics is to use it as readers and writers. So it is all about transfer. So this has to change a phonics curriculum in major ways. We know that kindergartners are being expected to be reading level like CD at the end of kindergarten. Well, to read C, C books have contractions in them. I books have long vowels in them. So the pace of your phonics curriculum, if it's phonics for transfer, cannot be a letter a week. So this also means that you have to teach phonics in a way which is not about mastering something before you move to the next thing. Or you're still teaching the sixth letter and they're in writing workshop labeling up a storm beginning and ending sounds. It's gotta be about immersion in it, exposure, play, experience with it, but not we're gonna work on this letter M for three weeks until every child in this room has mastered it. And we're all like sick to death of it. The pace has to go more quickly but also the content has to change. If you're really teaching phonics for transfer, and Fry has given us 250 high frequency words, why would you not choose the word said to be teaching while you're writing small moment stories? And why would you not choose the word put and how to teach while kids are writing how-to books? So you can actually take, it's still from the same list of 250 words, but you're gonna doctor it up a little bit so that you're teaching something when the kids particularly need it. So the content is going to change. And of course, the methods are going to change. Because often you're going to be saying to kids, pull out your book and practice it. You've just learned that every word, every syllable has to have a vowel. So pull out the book from your baggie and check to see if that's true. Robot. Row has a vowel. Bot has a vowel. Get them to check it using your own books, using your own writing constant references to using phonics as readers and writers. So that's the first principle. Second principle is that phonics needs to be efficient. It can't take up all the time, so there's no time for reading and for writing. Jim Cunningham has written a really nice article, and he points out that 10 years ago, we had a giant experiment in phonics. So the whole nation was 
forced to do systematic phonics in reading first. And then the government hired somebody to study what was the effect of this total like obsession with systematic phonics where people did it for like 45 minutes a day, the constant, you know, everybody was doing it. What was the results? The results was reading flatlined. The results was no improvement in reading. Cunningham said, what conclusion could we draw from this reading first thing failing? Is it that phonics is not foundational? No, phonics is foundational. But a foundation is not the same thing as the whole house. And it was too much phonics and it wasn't phonics in context of reading and writing. And now all of our standards are for phonics and reading and writing. So New York State, the phonics in the new iteration of Common Core, they're recommending 20 minutes a day for phonics. And that's what our phonics program is, 20 minutes a day for phonics. But it's a lot more than that because it's phonics for transfer. And as soon as kids are doing some kind of writing, it doesn't have to be our writing workshop, but some kind of writing. Writing is, like Donald Bear says, what is writing? But it's spelling. What is it? It's just spelling, spelling, spelling. The third thing is that it is really important that you're not just teaching item knowledge, which a lot of phonics programs are. So right now, would you list the 22 blends? Or list the six syllable types? My hunch is you don't even know what one syllable type is, let alone be able to list the six. And yet you are reading and writing just fine. You do not need to be able to recite the 22 blends. No child needs to be taught every one of the 22 blends. Instead, you have to teach them some of the blends, and then you have to teach them strategies for using blends. So in, a, in a instruction on blends, one of the important things to teach kids is that very often when you go to write a blend, they leave out the second letter. Like they're writing blue, but they leave out the L. And that is going to be particularly true with certain blending letters. So that's the first thing. The second thing you want to teach them around blends is that one reason kids have problems with blends is that sometimes they say a letter like B, like this, bah. So if it's BL and you go bah, la, it doesn't sound like a blend. They add the schwa sound. They're oversaying some of their letters. Ta instead of t, t, t. The reason you have to teach them t, not ta, is because when they go to blend, ta just doesn't work there. Then it would be ta-la. If a kid is writing and they write B-U instead of B-L-U, there are some teachers who say, crap, I have to go and teach the 22 blends. But you could also teach them that it is really important to be a brave reader of your own writing and to actually read your own writing and read what you did write, not what you hope you wrote. So you read it and you read it and you're like, B-U, ooh, that says boo. It does not say blue. And learning to be an honest, brave rereader of your writing is actually part of teaching kids blends. Because the big problem with blends is they miss the second letter. My point being that you need to teach strategies as well as item knowledge. And you do not need to teach all the items. You teach enough blends that they get the concept of blending and then they can, they can figure out some of these blends. You don't necessarily have to pre-teach the DR blend. If you've taught blending and you've taught eight blends, they can figure out the DR blend. When you're teaching kids strategies, they need to know why they're doing something. So a lot of phonics, teachers will begin by saying, we're gonna play a really fun game. But a really fun game is not a reason to do something. So when I was writing this curriculum with my colleagues, they would have these like fun games like pop the pea. And I'm like, what the hell is pop the pea? This does not feel like we're treating kids like readers and writers, you know. I want to tell you something that writers do, they pop the pea. Pop the pea is like in a word like hop, you get the kids to pop the pea, hop. And I'm like, well, why the heck, I'm going to my colleagues, why do you want them to go hop? And they're like, because they don't hear the last sounds in words. 
I'm like, you gotta be kidding. Like, what's so hard? Bike, what's so hard? And they're like, I swear to God, Lucy, they don't hear the last sounds and words. I'm like, okay, I got a suggestion. Tell them that. Today, writers, I wanna teach you that, swear to God, there are kids who don't hear the last sound in words. They just don't. They write bike and they just hear the bike. I mean, it sounds weird that they just go bye, not bike, but there's kids who don't hear the last sounds in words. So I want us all to like practice hearing the last sounds in words. So right now, will you just touch your body part? You all guys try it. Whatever you touch, pop out the last sound. Leg, guh. Okay? The good thing about that mini lesson is it doesn't take any little pieces of paper and baggies. You just got kids like going around the room for five minutes having a blast. So we're teaching strategies, not just item knowledge. And then the last thing, two last things, is engagement. Now, I think that, that our curriculum is teaching kids things like there's no greater joy than to work hard on something that you, that you care about. There's even scientific evidence to say that when you're happy, you learn better. So joy is not this like warm, fuzzy, crappy stuff. It's actually important. And I rest my case. I'm not going to say more about engagement. And then the last one is research-based. And what you need to know about the research on phonics is that pretty much every program follows the same sequence. Like even to the point of the first letter that's taught is M. Why M? Because M, you can keep saying it and you're not like in another sound. Like, and it says its own name, M-M. So it's like one of the easier letters to learn. Now, pretty much every program, the first vowel they're going to teach is A. By the way, you'll be surprised to hear that the first vowel we taught is A. There's reasons for A. So you might think vowels are hard. You might like think you postpone them. But because vowels are hard, they take more time. You want to get them started early. But also, if you're wanting kids to use the letters, you've got to put some vowels out there pretty fast or they're not going to be able to use them. So in every way, we follow the research on phonics. Now, there are some complications. There's a little bit of debates. So one of the debates is, do you spend the first half of the year on phonemic awareness, phonological awareness, and not start letters until the middle of the year. Just so you know, smart researchers disagree on that. There's a few who would teach phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, for a, a, several months before they go into the letters and sounds. Many disagree with that. We're among those who disagree with that. We teach letters and sounds starting right away because it goes with reading and writing workshop. The other question is, to what extent are you going to be teaching phonograms, your vowels in, in, inside of like word families, like at versus a? So everybody in, in kindergarten is going to teach short vowels, and short vowels before long vowels, which you might think long vowels are easier because it says its own name, but long vowels are represented by lots of different ways, you know, so short vowels are easier. But do you teach a or do you teach at? And that is a debate. So, for example, Pat Cunningham, Tim Rosinski, Pat would just say, all I would do in kindergarten is, is, is the cat in the hat. The whole, that would be my curriculum for kindergarten. Like it, the, the use of the, of the phonograms, of the rhymes, of the at and it and up and so forth is so important to, to Pat. Whereas Isabel Beck, for example, who's a more sort of conservative phonics person, would, would do just the vowels in isolation. Okay. We actually, on most of these questions, are pretty balanced. We started with the at, but then we go to the vowels in isolation. The other thing is decodable texts, and there's battles about decodable texts. And just to tell you, the, the people who argue against decodable texts are, are saying that kids need to be able to self-monitor for meaning. And if it's a text that is just written with lots of ats, the rat, sat, and that is that, and at, the, and it has no meaning, you're teaching kids it can be correct and have no meaning, which destroys their ability to like 
check that it's meaningful because they, 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 it can be correct and not meaningful. Especially when working with English language learners, you would never want to lean towards decodable text because those kids, above all, need to be checking that it's meaningful. But the argument for decodable text is if I've just taught you rat, cat, sat, if I've just taught that to you, the problem is that the books the kids are reading in a sort of FNP type, you know, the books they're reading is a lot of I see the lion, I see the elephant, I see the tiger, all right, which is based on repetition and pictures, and there's not a lot of place to practice that at work you've just finished doing. So we do add decodable texts into our curriculum that we've written that are meaningful because we do want kids to be able to practice some of the phonics work inside of continuous texts, and we are for that. And I also am for Freddie Hebert's series of books, which is published from, by Pearson, which has some of that. Those are semi-decodable, but still meaningful. So those are our principles, that it's transferable, efficient, strategy-based, engaging, research-based. Our thanks to Lucy Calkins for her time today. The new units of study and phonics for grades K through two is now available for pre-order. You can learn more and download a sample session at heinem.com or unitsofstudy.com. You can also follow Lucy on Twitter at Lucy Calkins and the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project at TCRWP. You can also join the Units of Study Facebook groups where educators from across the country and TCRWP staff developers are in conversation around the units. We'd love for you to comment and review on the Heinemann podcast so more educators can discover it. We're also now streaming wherever podcasts can be found. You can follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our various Facebook groups. Thanks for listening.